Welcome to the Adlai Access Podcast. My name is Alex Schneider, and I'm here with Jason Lewis, and we're in the Privacy and Information Security Practice at Kelly Dry. The topic today is privacy in the workplace, how to protect employee and HR data and comply with data privacy laws. So to start, uh, you know, we wanted to kind of review the kinds of uh, data that would be potentially subject to privacy laws. And this would include any information that is specific to employees. So uh, for example, resumes and job application materials, background checks or credit history information, payroll information, uh, including tax and insurance data, health insurance or medical information, personnel records, uh, compensation and benefits details, performance reviews and appraisals, and personal employee communications. So all of that information um, you know, is very personal to an individual employee, and there's an expectation of privacy to an extent, and that information um, can be subject to various privacy laws that we'll discuss today. Uh, information that would not necessarily be protected would be works made for hire, proprietary materials, in information generated by employees uh, for the uh, employer. Now, in terms of laws that apply uh, to employ employers when protecting employee data, um, first we wanted to start with federal laws. Uh, to start, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, or ECPA, prohibits interception of communications uh, without uh, consent. And so in the context of employee information, it's important to put employees on notice about any kinds of uh, interception and have their agreement to the terms of the employee's uh, monitoring policy. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, under the Federal Trade Commission Act, the FTC Act, uh, businesses are prohibited from engaging in unfair or deceptive acts or practices. And this can include deceptive statements regarding privacy practices. For instance, saying to employees that we're not going to uh, sell data about your, our employees and then going ahead and, and sharing that with, with various different uh, third parties. The third law is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA, which regulates the handling of protected health information by covered entities, which are healthcare providers, health plans, and healthcare clearinghouses. Uh, while that law may not directly apply to many employers, some employers will uh, offer their own health plans, so they may be covered entities under HIPAA. And then the fourth law is the Fair Credit Reporting Act, FCRA, which regulates the use of information assembled by credit reporting agencies in order to promote the fairness, accuracy, and privacy of information. And this is important in the context of background or credit checks and ensuring that if a employer takes adverse action against a, an employee or prospective employee, um, that that employee receives appropriate notice about that adverse action. Now those uh, federal privacy laws have been um, augmented by state and local privacy laws that we'll talk about now. Um, but just kind of at the outset, um, you know, there are there is currently talk about a federal privacy uh, law that would apply uh, privacy, uh, sort of more robust privacy across the U.S. Um, but that currently does would write out employee-related uh, data. Um, so that, that law that's being considered in Congress would not necessarily apply to employees. But states have uh, implemented a number of laws that 
would apply both to consumer data and to employee data. And these are data breach notification laws, biometric information privacy laws, uh, baseline comprehensive state privacy laws, and then some other laws that we'll talk about. So the first category is data breach notification laws. Every state has a data breach notification law, and these require notification following a security breach that impacts personal information. The term personal information can vary from state to state, but in general, these laws cover an individual's first and last name, and then in combination with certain data elements, such as an individual's social security number, driver's license or state ID number, medical information, health insurance information, or biometric data. And there's other data elements as well. So when those, when that data in combination with each other is, uh, is subject to unauthorized access, lost or destroyed, um, that can constitute a breach under state uh, laws uh, and would require a notice, uh, including to the employee, uh, to sometimes to uh, state regulators and potentially also to uh, credit reporting agencies. Uh, there are some exemptions, uh, in particular, if data is encrypted, then the data would not necessarily be subject to the data breach notification laws. So now I'll turn it over to Jason to talk about some other state laws. Thanks, Alex. So turning next to uh, biometric information privacy laws. So biometric technologies generally refer to the group of tools used to identify an individual based on some aspect of their biology, such as a fingerprint or facial features. And um, since biometric identifiers are unique to an individual in recent years, more and more businesses and employers have started to use biometric technologies to verify individuals' identities and as a means of access control. Lawmakers, in turn, have responded through the enactment of legislation designed to address privacy concerns related to the use of biometric data technologies. A few states, namely Illinois, Texas, and Washington, have taken the lead in terms of protecting individuals' biometric information through the enactment of biometric information privacy laws that require businesses to provide notice and obtain consent prior to collecting individuals' biometric information. These laws also require, or sort of restrict rather, businesses from further disclosing collected biometric, biometric information unless certain conditions are met, such as an obligation under federal or state law. Of the three state biometric privacy laws that have been passed to date, Illinois' Biometric Information Privacy Act, or BIPA, has received the most attention because it contains a broad private right of action, which allows individual plaintiffs to sue and recover statutory damages of $1,000 per negligent violation or $5,000 per intentional or reckless violation, including reasonable attorney's fees and costs. In contrast uh, to BIPA, Texas's law does not contain a private right of action. Instead, enforcement of the statute rests with the Texas Attorney General. However, violations of the law can carry civil penalties of up to $25,000 per violation. Like the Texas law, the Washington law does not contain a private right of action. Uh, instead, enforcement of violations are left to the discretion of the Washington Attorney General. And uh, with respect to BIPA, in recent years, several employers have faced class action lawsuits alleging violations of BIPA due to their use of biometric technologies in the workplace without sufficient notice and consent mechanisms.
for example, in June of 2021, following allegations from former employees that it improperly collected and stored fingerprint data in violation of BIPA, entertainment company Topgolf and the former employees agreed to a $2.6 million settlement resolving litigation. However, despite a steady rise in BIPA litigation in recent years, open questions still remain about the law's scope and reach. For example, in May of 2022, the Illinois Supreme Court heard arguments in a case in which the plaintiff claims that White Castle repeatedly violated her and other employees' BIPA rights by requiring fingerprint scans without following the law's notice and consent requirements. Open question for the court in the case is whether BIPA claims accrue only once or every time the law is violated. If the court agrees with White Castle that claims accrue only once, it would narrow the potential scope of claims that companies violated individuals' privacy. It is therefore a case that many companies that deploy biometric technologies are closely watching. So given the ongoing developments of biometric privacy legislation and the potential exposure to litigation and large sums of damages, if your company has adopted or is planning to adopt biometric technologies in the workplace, there are certain steps that you should consider taking. And these include, first, identifying and reviewing the laws governing the collection and use of biometric information in the relevant states. Two, preparing necessary notices, consent forms, and other policies regarding the collection, use, and disclosure, uh, as well as the retention of employees' biometric information. Uh, three, ensuring that appropriate safeguards are in place to protect collected biometric information against unauthorized access, transmission, distribution, and other unlawful processing. Four, securely disposing of employees' biometric information when the employment relationship ends or when the data is no longer needed for the identified purposes. And finally, consulting legal counsel regularly to identify other steps that can be taken to mitigate risks and remain informed of your organization's legal obligations. And turning next to state-level comprehensive privacy laws, earlier on, Alex touched on a few pieces of federal privacy legislation, but it's important to note that none of the privacy laws that have been passed at the federal level are comprehensive. Instead, these laws generally look at specific types of data or activities and regulate those categories of data or activities. And to help close this noticeable gap, state lawmakers around the country have considered state-level comprehensive privacy legislation and a handful of states have successfully passed comprehensive privacy laws. When California enacted the California Consumer Privacy Act, or the CCPA, in 2018, it became the first U.S. state to pass such legislation. And since then, Colorado, Connecticut, Utah, and Virginia have done the same. With the exception of California's law, these laws contain broad carve-outs for employee and HR data, meaning that this data will not be subject to these laws. California, however, has taken a very different approach. The CCPA contains a partial exemption for employee and HR data. And under that partial exemption, businesses' only requirements with respect to such data are to, one, provide applicants and employees with a notice at collection that informs them about the collection, use, and disclosure of their personal information, and two, implement and maintain reasonable security procedures and practices to protect the personal information of applicants and employees. This partial exemption, however, is set to expire on January 1st, 2023, when the amended version of the CCPA, California Privacy Rights Act, or the CPRA, takes effect. 
meaning that personal information collected in the employment context will be fully subject to the law's requirements. This means that employers with California-based applicants and employees that are subject to California's law will need to honor individuals' requests to access, delete, and correct their personal information, as well as other rights afforded to consumers under the law. And finally, at the state and local level, there are certain other laws that regulate the handling of employee and HR data by businesses and provide privacy protections for applicants and employees. One growing category of such laws limit employers' ability to access employees' social media accounts. California, for example, has had a law on the books since 2013 that is designed to protect the state's residents from unwarranted invasions of their social media accounts. Under the law, employers generally are prohibited from requiring or requesting applicants or employees' social media usernames, passwords, or access to their social media accounts. And notably, the law contains an exception and does not affect an employer's right to request that an employee disclose personal social media information relevant to a workplace investigation of employee misconduct or a violation of a local law. And in 2015, Connecticut's governor signed into law a statute that similarly restricts employers' access to applicants' and employees' social media accounts and information and establishes exceptions for employer-issued accounts and access as needed for legal compliance. And another growing area of state and local level legislation regulates the use of artificial intelligence or AI tools in hiring, promotional, and other employment-related decisions. For example, late last year, the New York City Council passed a bill that requires employers to provide applicants and employees residing in New York City with notice at least 10 days prior to using any automated employment decision tool and the job qualification and characteristics that the tool will use in the assessment. And finally, um, Illinois' Artificial Intelligence Video Interview Act, which took effect in January 2020, uh, requires employers to disclose to applicants that AI may be used to analyze their video interviews, um, to provide them with information before the interview explaining how the AI works and the general types of characteristics it uses to evaluate applicants, and to obtain their consent prior to being subject to uh, such use of AI. Um, so with that, I'll turn it back over to Alex to dive in a bit more into principles and best practices that employers should adopt as they sort of navigate this evolving space of privacy legislation. Thanks, Jason. There are four principles and four best practices that we wanted to talk about today. So the four principles for compliance with applicable laws are notice and awareness, choice and control, integrity, confidentiality, security, and data retention, storage limitation. And then the four best practices for protection of employee HR data are uh, provide notice and choice, implement a robust data security strategy, train HR staff, and develop and comply with retention policies and schedules. So to start with the four principles for compliance, uh, back to Jason. So the first principle, um, as Alex mentioned, is notice and awareness. So employers should always seek to be clear, open, and honest about their collection, use, and sharing of individuals' personal information. Um, the principle of transparency is also enshrined in several pieces of privacy legislation meaning that organizations have a legal obligation to inform individuals of their information handling and privacy practices. 
um, this transparency should begin from the moment that an employer engages with an individual for the first time, which is typically during the job application and recruitment process, and employers should continue to communicate transparently with individuals throughout the employment relationship. Uh, the next principle is choice and control, and providing applicants and employees with real choice and control over how their personal information is collected and used helps to build trust and engagement, and in some cases, providing choices and obtaining consent is required by law. Employers, therefore, should seek to provide applicants and employees with meaningful choices, as well as the ability to consent to certain activities that involve the collection and further processing of their personal information. And we'll touch on some of those scenarios in which employers should seek consent in a few moments. The next uh, principle is integrity, confidentiality, and security. So the principle of information security in particular is also enshrined in many privacy laws which reinforces the idea that security is a fundamental obligation of all organizations that handle personal information. Poor information security practices leave an organization subject to numerous risks, um, which could result in serious harms. For example, failure to adequately protect employee and HR data could lead to sensitive data falling into the wrong hands, which may result in identity theft or fraud and other negative consequences for employees and applicants. Um, likewise, applicants and employees may lose confidence and trust in an organization that fails to protect the information under its control. Employers must therefore implement and maintain security procedures and practices that are designed to adequately protect the employee and HR data under their control. And the final principle is data retention and storage limitation. Um, ensuring that personal information is not retained longer than needed helps reduce the risk that it becomes irrelevant, excessive, inaccurate, or out of date. Avoiding the overretention of data also helps minimize data breach risks and improves an organization's overall privacy compliance. Organizations therefore must have policies and procedures in place to ensure that employee and HR data is not retained for longer than necessary. And we'll discuss how organizations should accomplish this in a moment. Now for the four best practices. The first best practice is provide notice and choice. Inform applicants and employees about the collection, use, and disclosure of their personal information. And then, where appropriate, obtain consent. And this can vary based on law and also uh, various best practices. But for example, um, you know, as we talked about the Fair Credit Reporting Act uh, requirements, if you're conducting a background check or credit check uh, under the FCRA, obtain consent to proceed with that background checker credit check. When searching an employee's personal belongings, best practice to obtain agreement to that search. When collecting an employee's biometric data, uh, such as for uh, fingerprints for building access control um, or in other uh, contexts where the biometric data is being used by the employer, um, provide a detailed explanation of why this information is being collected um, how it complies with applicable law and, uh, and get the uh, employee's consent to that use. And then finally, um, engaging in electronic monitoring of employees, uh, again, is a place where we want to provide uh, notice and uh, obtain consent of employees. Now, in the uh, area of electronic monitoring, this can occur when we have uh, a network at a business and, and monitoring of employee use of that network um, or employee communications. Um, and, and usually this is to protect assets of the business 
um, or to monitor for bad actors. So in terms of uh, some best practices to uh, think about when uh, engaging in workplace monitoring, first off, identify a clear business or legal imperative for performing such monitoring. Uh, consult with legal counsel to determine whether applicable laws permit employee monitoring, require written notices, or restrict the types of information that can be monitored. And oftentimes the answer is yes, and, and also uh, important to think about uh, you know, these, not just from a legal compliance perspective, but also best practices and setting uh, employee expectations about what's going to be incurring and in, involving their personal information. Create a clear and detailed monitoring policy so that employees and managers know what to expect and what is expected of them. And consider having employees sign off on the policy and give their consent. Um, I think it's also important to be clear, you know, that employers should not be invasive and should recognize that employees have a reasonable expectation of privacy in private communications or activities. So monitoring should not be overbroad and should match to specific business or legal concerns that have been identified. Uh, you know, as examples of ways to avoid uh, invasive monitoring, consider using passive monitoring as opposed to active monitoring. Um, also consider using a trust but verify approach where uh, passive monitoring looks for uh, insider threats uh, rather than actively monitoring all uh, communications from employees. So our second best practice is to implement a robust data security strategy. And I think like all data security, this really comes down to having appropriate administrative, technical, and physical safeguards in place. So in terms of administrative safeguards, in addition to ensuring that there are established limits on who is authorized to access and handle HR data, uh, employees with access to such data should receive ongoing privacy and security training. In terms of technical safeguards, uh, encryption may be employed to keep electronic records confidential and secure. And uh, employers can also implement need-to-know access permissions uh, to ensure only those uh, with need-to-know uh, can access specific types of data. And then finally, uh, in terms of physical safeguards, if an organization maintains paper records, uh, making sure that all storage locations are locked and accessible only with legitimate business needs, and that servers are locked down and protected. And this involves um, you know, coordinating with IT to ensure that if there's physical servers on the premises, that those are secure, but also in terms of cloud uh, uh, technology, um, making sure that that's up to date and evaluated from a security perspective uh, to, to ensure that you know, it, those cloud providers uh, protect uh, the, the data that's, that's entrusted to them. Turning to our next uh, best practice, um, in addition to having a robust data security strategy, it's important that um, your HR staff is trained on their privacy and security obligations. We all know that human error is one of the most common causes for data-related incidents and breaches. Thus, having an appropriately tailored security strategy in place is not enough. Rather, um, you know, in addition to having that robust data security strategy, an organization must ensure that those with access to employee and HR data understand how to protect that data from unauthorized access and misuse during its life cycle. The training should educate staff on how to prevent unauthorized access to employee and HR data, how to respond to incidents and breaches impacting such data, 
how to properly dispose of the data once it's re once it's reached its retention period. Uh, the training should also aim to educate employees on the importance of privacy and security and best practices so that they understand their responsibilities and are able to identify potential issues more effectively. And this type of training should be delivered on a regular basis, which may be annual or when otherwise necessary or appropriate. Uh, an appropriate point in time may be, you know, when the HR department is adopting a new piece of software that will involve processing of sensitive employee data, just to remind uh, the HR department of their privacy obligations with respect to the data that they're handling. And in addition to a best practice, proper training is also in some cases a legal requirement. HIPAA, for example, requires covered entities and business associates to provide training to members of their workforces with access to PHI, or protected health information. Additionally, under California's comprehensive privacy law, covered businesses are required to establish, document, and comply with a training policy to ensure that all individuals who are either responsible for handling rights requests made under the law or the business's overall compliance with the law are informed of the business's legal obligations. And our final best practice is to develop and comply with retention policies and schedules. Comprehensive retention policies and schedules are important for two reasons. Uh, first, uh, the adoption of effective records retention policies ensures that employee and HR data is managed and retained in a consistent manner, which helps an organization comply with the myriad of federal, state, and local record-keeping legal requirements to which many employers are subject. Uh, second, uh, retention policies and schedules help ensure that employee and HR data is not over-retained, thereby minimizing risk for the organization. Um, retention policies and schedules should therefore be appropriately tailored to the organization and list the types of records or information held, as well as how long the business intends to keep it. Um, and they should also describe how records and information should be disposed of or deleted once they have reached their retention period. That concludes our podcast today. Uh, we hope that you all got some clients tips from us and we hope that you can apply them in practice within your organization. And if you do have any questions and would like to discuss privacy more uh, with Alex or me, feel free to send us an email. You can reach Alex Schneider at aschneider at kellydry.com. And, and you can reach me, Jason Lewis, at jlewis at kellydry.com.